think Mike Duffy called them the boys in short pants. And I they're both boys and girls because I've seen them. Women and men. Hello, this is episode 117 of the Boys in Short Pants, the 118th episode. I'm Laura Carboneau. Cabinet Shuffle Edition. I am H. in Rainville. Okay, you always got to give me trouble with that. No, I know that's not true. You, you uh, yes, so last week, uh, I guess it's not so much a shuffle as a, a swearing in of the new government, uh, because yeah, yeah. it's only oh, a shuffle. God damn, that means that. That's fair. That is yeah. perfectly fair. So the new cabinet has been sworn in as of last Tuesday, uh, which by the time this episode comes out will be exactly a week ago, one hopes. Uh, probably. Um, and yeah, so I would say it was not the most, uh, there were no huge, huge, huge surprises, I would say, but I think it's worth, uh, breaking this down as we often do, or at least have done throughout the life of this podcast. Whenever there's a, a, a new parliament, we will do a sort of breakdown episode of, uh, of the cabinet and then one of the critics. Uh, the NDP has actually named its critics already. The conservatives have not yet. Uh, so we'll probably... Fold those in once they are named. Um, so yeah, there you go. Etienne, do you want to start us on uh, sort of big uh, takeaways from the uh, the cabinet swearing in? Well, do you want to do like big takeaways, um, or do you want to just proceed through the the order? I mean, I, I mean, guess. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. Let, let's start at the macro level. Um, I mean, I, I tweeted these out, but broadly, my my high level thoughts are. One, there was a lot of whispers about uh, machinery of government changes. Um, you know, there are a few, this government hasn't been shy, particularly early in its mandate, to make large machinery of government changes. Yeah, um, the split of Indigenous Affairs comes to mind there. Th- well, that was sort of mid-tenure. Uh, yes. mid um, but, you know, initially I said was one of the big ones. And you, there's... Uh, always ongoing conversation about whether I said as an entity makes sense being both the the regulator um, and the promotion of business um, yes I mean like, it's uh, always a, been weird that like the competition bureau lives at I said for instance yeah there's sort of a uh, you know an inherent conflict of interest um, with some of the different roles that I said but that's that's certainly nothing new and it seems like that wasn't a priority um, in this instance, which you know doesn't doesn't shock me terribly. Um, other ones that were sort of mulled about in the press was the splitting of Health Canada and Public uh, Public Health Agency of Canada (PHAC) um, out from under one portfolio. Instead, we got an associate associate minister of health, I believe is how she's uh, styled. But we can we can touch on that a little later, um, which is not a significant change. Um, broadly looking at it, beyond sort of the the creation of the uh well first there's the regional development agencies which was um if i'm remembering my my ottawa history i think it was actually jerry butts who had a big issue with the regional development agencies being sort of the the regional slush fund agencies um and sort of centralized them all uh under navdeep baines for quite a while um baines of course gone there was some conversation around that at the political level um Sorry, by that I mean in Parliament there there would be the occasional question about why Navdeep Baines is, you know, the minister of all of these different regional development agencies. Um, but it was certainly an ideological choice of the government to try and keep them all under one umbrella. 
Um, that has broken apart. Whatever philosophy underpinned that is very clearly no longer there, and the government sees the political opportunity of having uh, regional slush funds that are responsive to regional needs. Um, so it has uh, reversed course a little bit there, but that, that's probably the, the single largest machinery of government change. Um, and then in terms of the who made it, who didn't make it, um, who got promoted, the who real, got demoted. The real juicy stuff. Yeah, we, let's, let's do that as we go through um, sort of case by case. Um, the various ministers on the list in uh, in order of precedence. Um, but are there any other high-level observations that you'd make looking at the, the cabinet list? In terms of, of, like, the machinery of government world, no, not really. That definitely struck me as well, that the, um, the regional development agencies thing is kind of the bigger change. Uh, and, yeah, as you say, there's, like, giving the health minister an associate minister. But, like, even then, that doesn't really necessarily imply... A machinery change so we'll see no. what happens with that nor would it be particularly consequential even if there were um so yeah no i, I think at that level you, you've covered it off but yeah certainly we can get to the the juicy gossip who's in who's out um before that i would be remiss if i didn't just lodge my my annual complaint of how slow some things are moving um you know once upon a time early into government um they were able to form a cabinet from an October, what was it, twenty first election? It was a yes, an October twenty first election, and an or it might have actually been the nineteenth. Anyway, one either the twenty nineteen election or the twenty fifteen election, were the nineteenth or the twenty first. Yeah. I, I now cannot remember, but it, yes, let's say in that range of two three days, two, uh, and we're able to name a cabinet on November fourth in twenty fifteen. Yes. Um. So here we are. Uh, you know, the election was substantially earlier this year. And the cabinet was named on November twenty. Oh, sorry, October twenty fifth. Um, yes. So, I mean, uh, longtime listeners of the podcast will remember my one of my criticisms uh, of this government, uh, circa twenty nineteen, uh, in the lead up to COVID, no less, was how slow things were moving in terms of staffing offices, um, naming ministers, getting the ball rolling politically again. Uh, you know, it's just when you when you step back, it, it's really obvious when you work in Ottawa, um, and it might not be as apparent to those who are outside of the bubble. But when you step back and realize, like, not having a functional government from call it late July to well, not yet because offices are still being staffed up. There's sort of a thirty day timer running right now, but it's actually a good chunk of a year that ends up being chewed up. By yeah, what is this, the, the pre-election period and the post-election period, um, so there's a big opportunity cost in terms of act, you know actual governance associated yes. with triggering it, an election that I think is, is really underappreciated. Not yes, not to it, mention the absolute uh, you know destruction of a regular parliamentary calendar and parliamentary time being yes. you know compressed into a few weeks in front of December now. I, I made a crack about. Belgium just then and the, the joke there is that Belgium because of its very fractious politics and electoral system frequently has takes a very very long time for a government to come in and actually sit because it takes some time to figure out who will be uh, in the government in terms of political parties etc and they have a lot of elections blah 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 and it's like well if you want if you want to live in a Belgium where we have very frequent elections and it takes them forever to actually decide who's going to be in government well uh, lucky for you you don't actually have to move across the Atlantic because we already live there and uh, it is kind of annoying so there you go <laughs> perfect well that is uh, great context for all the non-Walloonians 
um, listening to the or podcast. Flemings. <laughs> or Flemings. Let's be um, fair to both the linguistic communities of Belgium. Again. Very fair. Uh, but with that, I think we can jump to just the um, the list. The gossip. In order of precedence. Beginning with the right honorable prime minister. Yes. Um, who, notable, unlike in previous cabinets, has uh, not, well, re- remained not the minister of youth, which was... Uh, the original subtitle um, he had given himself in, in that role, Indeed. but that got offloaded uh, some time ago and remains offloaded. Um, just focusing on the big picture for the time being. Yep. Uh, you want to do the him. next one? Yeah, the honorable, not quite right yet, Christopher Freeland, who uh, <laughs> we, we of course know and love as the Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Finance. In fact, she got the unusual bump of uh, the Prime Minister coming out a couple of weeks before the, the cabinet swearing in and saying, by the way, Christia will be keeping her job. Yeah, a little uh, peculiar. unusual to sort of announce one person and then just be like, other mysteries await you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was certainly a little weird. Yes. Um, I guess it was sort of the, we're taking extra long, but rest assured, someone is working. Yes. Um, if, if only it's the finance minister, but, you know, here we are. So very strange. I mean, no, no surprises there. Uh, she has been a, a, a good soldier for the government. Um all over the place so and I, I think she's someone who I don't know if this is true but they seem to think that she brings them a lot of credibility like in the business community and elsewhere uh, as I've observed on this very podcast in the past uh, the role of finance minister to some extent is to be the ambassador to Bay Street and to reassure them that you know what you're doing um, and she seems to be fairly adept at that um, so, or at least the liberals seem to think she is. I, I don't really know the mood, mood of things on Bay Street. I would imagine they are not necessarily the keenest on this government. As a man know, who's never made a payroll in his life, you, you don't have an opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Also, guys who work in finance famously uh, doing the payroll themselves. <laughs> of course. Um, yes. So that takes us to the dean of cabinet himself, the honorable... Lawrence McCauley, the honorable member for Cardigan Sweater. Uh, <laughs> it's just Cardigan. It's not Cardigan Sweater. Um, Prince Edward Island's hometown boy in the cabinet, uh, representing the department that is based in Charlottetown. Uh, he previously was agriculture minister, I guess, uh, which was his, in a previous life, he was a farmer. I believe he still has his farm, but doesn't farm as much anymore. He's also quite old, so being 75, I don't think you're as spry as you used to be when it comes to getting up to milk the cows, etc. Apologies to any 75-year-old farmers who do get up to milk their cows every morning. If you do, great. I (laughs) I suspect the the number... Well, this will be good listening in the morning when when you're milking your cows. Yeah, exactly. I suspect that is not our our, uh, usual audience. Well, you know, I can only hope. Uh, if you are a 75-year-old dairy farmer, please uh, send me some cheese or something. Although my that my mother's side of the family is uh, is and was dairy farmers, so there you um, go. that is somewhere in my in my lineage for sure. And now you're in government relations. You really took the family tradition uh, <laughs> of. Uh... <laughs> um, Carolyn Bennett is next on the list. Indeed, she is. Uh, uh, so she is someone who has been a little surprising. Well, surprising. She fairly unique in that she had the same job for the entire life of the government to this point as Minister of Crown Indigenous Relations, uh, and she is now age. a sort of hmm, sorry. Well, b- before it was split. Well, yes, but she was always like in. Yes, that's true. 
but she sort of was always in the the lead job, shall we say, in machinery terms. She was the senior minister for the department, if you looked at the orders and council and all of that, um, at Crown Indigenous Relations, previously INAC, uh, and is now sort of demoted, I think it's fair to say, to a uh, Minister of Mental Health and Addictions and Associate Minister of Health, which is to say a sort of junior minister within the health portfolio. Uh, yeah, so, so I, I think it's important to articulate why it's perceived as a demotion. Well, because, I mean, she goes from being a department head to not a department head and goes from handling one of the most politically sensitive files the government had uh, to handling a secondary priority for the government. Um, so, you know, I think it, it's pretty... It's fairly obvious on sort of its face how that's a demotion, if you ask me. I don't know. Maybe people think it... I don't know. Like, I guess it's obvious to me, but... No, well, you, yes. You but it, I, I think it's important to articulate that rather than just uh, presume. Yeah. No, fair enough. Fair I would enough. add that uh, not so long ago there were, you know, a, a number of articles around uh, a toxic workplace environment in her minister's office. Mm -hmm. um, and so interesting choice wouldn't have been my first pick let's let's put it that way mm -hmm. um yes uh, also worth saying too that i think it's like i think people in the, the the heart of government there sort of were like okay like politically this is not working out like she only gets bad headlines <laughs> like uh and it was just like i think the credibility of a lot of stakeholders have been burned and there, there was a lot going on there yeah i mean uh, you'll remember I lost $20 over uh, betting on her being moved from the portfolio in 2019. Um, it would seem I was prescient, yes. um, but perhaps well, a, a little early. Do, do, speaking of the finance world, do you know what they call being right early? Uh, being wrong. That's correct. <laughs> uh, so there you go, Carolyn Bennett. Uh, Dominic LeBlanc, who is now back in cabinet full-time, he had some health issues for, for quite a while there uh, in the middle of the, well, sort of the last couple of years, so good to see him well. He was formerly my MP uh, when I lived in that part of New Brunswick, uh, and is at Intergovernmental Affairs, Infrastructure, and Communities, um, which is an interesting mix. Uh, he has sort of played the role of like an enforcer for the government in several capacities. He was house leader when the government was first coming in in 2015 and is now going to be, I guess, the sort of interprovincial equivalent of that uh, in terms of wrangling with provinces. Well, he had been, That's in, that, always a he had been in that role previously. Yes, um, he had. So yes. the, the new bit here is infrastructure. Yes. And he loses president of the, has it said, president of the Privy Council? president of the queen's privy council for canada yeah sure yes um so he loses that bit um and gains infrastructure which is like which is big yeah well it's big and it's not big the thing with infrastructure is one there isn't uh it's not a huge department because excuse me it's they not a it's not a department that builds bridges it's a department no. that cuts checks yes um to the provinces who then but look do the most Dominic LeBlanc's nickname in maritime politics is the Codfather, and like he is like this is the job I think he has wanted since day one. Is like you are going to be writing the big novelty checks that go on the bridge. Uh, that's you know that you get to name after various friends and family members. 
uh, and you can you can touch down at the Romeo LeBlanc International Airport in Moncton and drive from there to anywhere you want, uh, from Grand Dig to Shediac Bay, and uh, cut those big novelty checks. So good for him. So the the one portfolio he had been in that we haven't mentioned is Fisheries and Oceans, um, which uh, was During not scam, no was less. not without its controversies. That's exactly what I was alluding to. Yes. Um, as well as you you failed to mention during his time as House Leader. Um, that was during the, you know, it, it kind of ended with Elbowgate, which was uh, yeah, precipitated was by the introduction of, I don't remember what it was called now, Motion 4 oh, or Motion 10 yeah, or something, something like, like that. that. Which is basically like a, let's strip the opposition of most of its procedural powers uh, motion. That yeah, which was nice during a, uh, a nice move to try and pull during a, a majority, but they were not even able to pull that off during a majority. Uh, which should be a, a vote of confidence for our system a little bit. But he's been a little bit in the, the fighter position. Yes. Um, and in the the president of the Privy Council role, uh, well, I mean, we can get to it when you get to Blair, yeah. um, a little further down the list, but he was in sort of that um, governance of cabinet role. Um, mm-hmm. So a little bit of the, the prime minister's enforcer uh, behind the yes. curtain. Also worth saying that I think that job was partially a courtesy title to have a nominal cabinet position while he was mostly away ill yes but also no um i, I think it depends when you were talking about it yeah um, i think early, like initially like early on sure. i think that that was yes i'm sure he, but like he's, but I, he's dominic I've, leblanc he's the the lyndon johnson of of Beausajour. like yeah he, and I've, I've certainly sure heard... he found some power in there <laughs> yeah and i've certainly heard from staff i mean this we, we at one point uh, discussed amongst ourselves an article about like the prime minister needs a minister for cabinet governance and I think that was kind of the role that he grew into there um, was I've certainly heard from staff who said like you know they would get calls from his office be like bam 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 where are your MCs why your MC is not in like that that type of cabinet enforcer role um, that you know we don't have good eyes into because it's the most internal role in government that you could possibly be doing yeah. is the the you know cabinet agenda role but look i i'm all for making things work better and faster so godspeed minister leblanc jean-yves duclos yes so a guy who's had a succession of pretty big jobs uh he was minister of uh families and children and social development initially uh and was then correct me if i'm wrong here i may be missing a job but i think after that point he was president of treasury board for several that's, years that's how i remember it yeah uh and now i guess yes now he's minister of health so another quite big job um so he's a guy who's kind of been in big jobs that he's performed well in and that no one has really yelled at him too much uh which is an accomplishment i guess when he was minister president of treasury board I'm trying to... No, I suppose it would have been after the access information reform, so he didn't even yeah. get too much heat for that. So, yeah, he's kind of been pretty much scandal-free, miss-free for the most part. Like, I can't think of any... Like, he was the one who sort of oversaw the transition to the CCB when they came in as family's minister. So I, I think, like, one of the serious heavyweights in caucus uh, and in cabinet. So, yeah, Fair. big job for him coming out of the pandemic. Sort of, so, we'll I would see. say, very understated politically. Um, like he is. Yeah, he's an academic economist by training and profession before yeah. politics. So, so he's so. not he's not super well known. His two previous roles have been in more economic portfolios than health. Um, and on the flip side, the government has tended to put more uh, 
you know, socially oriented professionals in health so far yeah. um, between Patty Heyju, Jane Philpott, et cetera. Yes. Um, and so it will certainly be a change to that portfolio at a very interesting time. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how he performs in that role, being that it's perhaps the one with the most visibility in his career. Obviously, you know, looking immediately at President of the Treasury Board is, again, one of these uh, behind-the-curtain roles where he's the, uh, the enforcer of the purse, uh, yeah. holding, holding the purse strings and making sure that folks are um, not abusing their, their spending authorities. Um, yeah. So very different role for him, uh, much more political, much more visible than he's ever been um, previously. You know, obviously we can't understate the COVID-19 pandemic is still a thing. Um, so it'll be interesting. It'll be really interesting to see how he performs in that capacity with, Indeed more, it will. with more eyes on him. He was a bit more visible during the, the like CCB stuff. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's that, all the was in. And the government was in its honeymoon period at that yeah. point anyway. Very, wrong, yeah, so. very different context yeah. than... Yeah, for sure, yeah. Um, Just wanted to, to note that it was at least somewhat political, but, like, no, it was a totally different context. There, there weren't people, you know, picketing, no, like, no to the CCB. Like, it's very different when it's, like, a, a all-good news file or a, a mostly yeah. good news file, let's say, um, mm -hmm. when it's around the, the economic elements of the child care benefit. Very different story. Um, and EI is a little more abstract if that was in his portfolio at the time, which I'm not sure it was. Um, no, it would be the other one. Yeah. The, yeah. The um, SDC job. Yeah. So Honorable Mary Claude Bibeau as uh, returning as agriculture and agri-food. Uh, I have nothing to say about her. I don't know anything about her. So uh, we could, I think we could safely move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to cut it there. I have, uh, uh, is, is the agriculture policy of this government substantially likely to change? No. Is it substantially likely to change if we have a change in government that service come in? No. Is it likely to change if literally any other... No, it's not. We're going to keep doing the exact same stuff. Anyway, carry, we'll, we'll, we'll carry on from there. Here, here to uh, um, supply management. I, I toast the... Yes, and you know what? And standing up for our fantastic Canadian pulses. You know, we love those lentils, folks. We really do. Um, yes, taking us to, I think, the first spicy pick of the uh, the order of precedence here. The Honorable Melanie Jolie, Minister of Foreign Affairs. What do you got? That's You're throwing it to me for reaction, eh? Yes. Um, so, Jolie is i think an interesting pick here okay so let's let's cover off the the quick political history uh melanie jolie is a was sort of viewed as an up-and-comer um in quebec politics ran yeah she for ran mayor for mayor of montreal of montreal a race that is second uh, like again pretty, underway like reasonably competitively yeah she i think it was not good but yeah. Did did quite well, uh, came out of nowhere, a lot of sort of upstart political capital, found herself in this government, one of the sort of youthful faces of the government, very much part of the Team Trudeau brand. Um, initial portfolio, Heritage, Heritage, of course, uh, be, being the department that uh, the government would not even fathom giving to a non-Quebecois because, you know, the most important stakeholders is the Quebec cultural industry. Um, mm -hmm. In that vein, she had thought she had struck an incredible deal with Netflix, 
went on to one of the preeminent talk shows in Quebec, to Mon Pal, and proceeded to get torn apart for basically handing the cultural industry to Quebec, or sorry, to uh, U.S. multinationals. Um, never really recovered from that, um, and then subsequently, or a little later, got sort of progressively less interesting roles and was somewhat demoted. Um, yes. Well, she had official languages and economic development. Uh, as we discussed off the top, uh, the economic development stuff has been decentralized. Uh, so that kind of role only kind of exists as a shadow of itself now. And the official languages stuff is, you know, not exactly high profile. Yeah, I think there's the forthcoming intention to, like, modify the Official Language Act, but, like, at there least... has been a lot of heat on that for the last several years like yes yeah but it's at, one of at those least... pieces of legislation that is a bit overdue for reform as as are several that we can think of yeah at least publicly during her tenure though there was no it was you know, there was no yes. bill on tabled in parliament on it no. um so um, it was sort of limited I, to however that. however i have been told that she has been doing sterling work uh in, from some quarters so yes there what are, are we to say? well even in the press, I remember in 2019, there were several articles talking about she was in line for promotion because of the political work she was doing in Quebec, mm-hmm. um, which kind which of I'm surprised sure me. Um, yeah. But of course, I do not have eyes into that. But it's the, the narrative kind of reversed itself, and it has long been she's in line for a promotion. Um, so whatever she has done, the center has agreed with that and deems her to be... Um, restored uh and now promoted much higher than minister of heritage so um in her most preeminent post yet um so minister of foreign affairs um which is obviously one of the most desirable roles generally in a yeah it's an interesting one because it's quite prestigious on paper but in this government has usually been kind of a second fiddle job yes like as people pointed out there have been five and six years with the exception of uh the tenure of yeah. Freeland, <laughs> um, who continues effectively to be the foreign affairs minister uh reportedly yeah particularly on canada u.s issues but mostly just just canada's most important direct relationship yes mark garneau champagne <laughs> stefan zion you know yeah, a lot well, of these yeah folks... champagne we, we love the anecdote of when he was trade minister and was left on the plane <laughs> <laughs> a lot of these folks have never been um, in the role long enough to really get a sense of what they were hoping to do. Maybe with the exception of Stéphane Zion, who obviously was a little bit of a, uh, more of a known quantity and obviously had his direction. Um, mm-hmm. But there were pieces that came out in like a book by a staffer where it, that talked about how marginalized he was in that role um, before being appointed a yes. weird ambassadorship between Germany and the EU and Which, yeah, simultaneously the EU alienating and Fran- everyone. Yeah, no, that was quite funny. Which uh, might the be the destiny about... for Mark Garneau as well as some sort yes, of European would... ambassadorship. That's what I want to talk about because obviously he is a name that does not appear on this list despite being a long-time Liberal MP. One of the more, uh, you know, recognizable faces, I guess, in this government. At least... Or recognizable names, perhaps not recognizable names. <laughs> um, but yes, he is now gone. Uh, as you say, the speculation is mostly that he will be appointed to something or another. It's not so much that he's being fired uh, or what have you. But well, that's yes, that's he, he's that's fired. Not, yeah. Well, I mean, like it may well have been like his choice to step back and be like, I would no. like to do something else. No, I don't know. I don't think so. 
Let, okay, just so context. I don't know that he was necessarily fired for you know catastrophic performance. Um, I think it's more likely that it was something along the lines of just isn't jiving. They needed to make political decisions. He he got the cut, um, and the the soft landing is an ambassadorship. Um, because they have to give him some sort of soft landing, I would be incredibly shocked to see Mark Garneau, um, someone with his level of seniority, just go to be a backbencher and sort of, um, you know, into the, or a parliamentary secretary would kind of be incredibly weird. Um, so it does well, seem yeah, likely it, it that you either quit politics that, yeah. or accept an ambassadorship. It makes more sense to me that he was out of cabinet rather than in a more junior role, or as yeah. you say, like a public secretary or something like that. To me, sounds like there's, but but obviously, everyone involved is fine with that. Obviously, this is not something he saw coming, or he probably wouldn't have uh, spent the month and a half, two, three months of his life running in the election most recently. And you do have to feel bad for the staff in that riding, um, the staff and the volunteers in that riding, who um, you know gave up an immense chunk of their time to get someone elected. Only yeah. to have them not in cabinet, well, which isn't which isn't as devastating as, but also likely to to fall out of government and then not, to have to have a to knock their, in that writing. Not to knock their work, but I don't think it was that hard to get Mark Renault elected. No, in, but in people mouth. still work hard on campaigns, even yes. when the margins are seventy percent. Um, yes. So that that's fine. So I mean, we'll see. It's really a, a stay tuned to see where Mark lands. Um, you know, or perhaps he will not land anywhere. He will go to orbit, where he feels <laughs> most you. at home. Thank you. As an astronaut. Very good. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, or like it could be. Who knows? I I've not looked into this at all, but like uh, a plush appointment to a role like uh, space agency or something. I, I don't know. Um, but I'm sure he has no shortage of options in terms of uh, potential things they would appoint him to. Um, so that's that's where Mark has gone. Um, next is, well, I guess, does that cap off uh, Melanie Jolie's um, appointment? Uh, yeah, to... pretty much. My, my dad had some really excellent puns that don't really translate into English, so I'll, I'll spare the listeners that, but they were very funny. So just imagine that my dad had some great puns about her appointment. Uh, Chan, I can tell you after the show if you like. Um, yeah, so that, that, that caps that off. Uh, the Honorable... Diane Le Boutillier, who is still in the same job she's had the entire time, Minister of National Revenue. Which... I have nothing to say. I mean, one thing that's interesting here is they keep getting a lot of heat for, like, going after... Not going after tax havens, all this stuff. And, like... She has one of those superpowers that, like, a couple other people have, which is that you... Like, she, she's a clip ruiner. <laughs> in that, like, you can't use a QP clip with her because they just suck. She just sucks all the energy out of the question. And then it's just like, well, what do I do with this? It's terrible video. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, hey, you know what? That is a superpower. So, hats so, off, I guess. So, she represents, uh, you know... Gaspésie, les Îles-Madeleine. Yes. A, a rural region of Quebec. Um... The Two minister of CRA at the best of times is not a minister that is, you know, well known for doing anything. Uh, I don't know that we've ever had. Well, I guess uh, ENGOs would disagree, but I was going to say any particularly activist uh, ministers of national revenue. And I think the jury <laughs> is somewhat out on to what extent you can be a activist uh, minister of national revenue as uh, the perception is generally that these uh, 
you know, much of the work is supposed to be impartial and not politically motivated. Um, and so it is, I, I constantly rank it as perhaps the least interesting um, portfolio to be minister of in the entire government. And I cannot yes. tell you what that minister does day in, day out, um, so who their I, stakeholders gonna... are, except for like quick tax and H&R <laughs> block. Like I, I have no idea I, I will just what the minister of national in your, does. your theatrical declaration that we have nothing to say about this to note that we have another lot of ministers to get through. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so you know, don't, fair. Don't we, we, we don't need on. to spend five minutes <laughs> belaboring the point that we have nothing to say. <laughs> national so, revenue. The next minister on the list is the Honorable Harjit S. Sajjan, uh, who is now Minister of Ec- International Development and Minister Responsible for the BC Economic Development Agency. The Pacific. Uh, so, yes. so that big, big time, big time L for our man Sajjan. From Canada's uh, badass Minister of National Defense to Minister for International Development, which, uh, similar to the Minister of Foreign Affairs in the same vein, is a portfolio that I think a lot of people in the international development community thought would get more prioritization under this government. Hashtag Canada is back, baby. Um, But in fact, post-declaration of feminist foreign policy and the International Assistance Review within GAC, not a lot of dollars you know this is a portfolio that runs on dollars and cents um Mm -hmm. and not a lot of dollars and cents have ever been thrown their way um so it's kind of like the c-tier version of being the foreign affairs minister where you get to travel the world a little bit um and you get to go to some conferences and hang out in interesting places and make sure you're you're burying the lead a little bit about he lost his wait wait we're getting there we're getting there okay (laughs) Well, I let, I'm, I'm, lead, I'm, a pri- I'm giving a primer to the role, where he finds himself, what's involved, and then we can talk about it's why the, why it's he's the least there. interesting part of this. <laughs> it's the most it's the most interesting to me. Okay, uh, that that's enough about that department. Um, why does he find himself no longer as Minister of National Defense, Laurent? Because he fucked it up royally. Yes, uh, I mean most recently for. Um, everything related to uh, <laughs> it's just there's a where where do we start <laughs> well we had we had a chief of defense staff that had to go because he was too handsy then he was replaced by another one that also had to be replaced because he was too handsy and then he got replaced by another one who yeah you get the idea sort of a matryoshka doll of groping essentially yeah a long um, string of disastrous um Yes, and then it turns out that, in fact, there has been a report on this for six years. The minister involved seemingly did nothing, and then they were like, well, let's come back with a new report about it, to which people were like, that's ridiculous, and then and they had a political disaster with this file. The the conflict with the veterans ombudsman um, recently also comes to mind, you know, the listlessness on major procurement files. there is a sort of long string at national defense. Again, it's one of these portfolios that obviously has no prioritization by the government and has been basically an issues management vacuum for them since day one. Um, and to some extent, it's remarkable how long uh, he was kept in the role. Um, mm-hmm. They they definitely waited for the cabinet shuffle where you know more reasonable people would have uh, booted him from cabinet much well, sooner. Well, it's the, it's the shame thing, right? Like, you can't lose by having no shame. If you just say, no, he's doing a great job, and then you push him off the side of the boat a couple months later, and you say, he was doing a great job, but we decided he'd be better elsewhere. 
Yeah, and in, why, in, why are you looking at me like that? And international development <laughs> at Global Affairs is a pretty soft landing, as as I was alluding to in the the opening. That it has you know, it's it's a little cushy, it has its perks, um, but it's not, you know, the reason he got he ended up there was likely because he is a strong performer and politically important to them on the West Coast. Um, Vancouver is an important you know, political area for the liberal government. It's vote rich, you can uh, say. Vote rich Vancouver. The secret board of internal economy. All classic adjectives. Um, so the they, wine dark they didn't take him out entirely. And so he, he has a safe, uh, a face saving role. Um, but beyond that, it's uh, it's a bad day for him. He has been bye-bye honeyed effectively. Carla Qualtrough. Yes, uh, keeps her job as uh, Minister of Employment, Workforce Development, and Disability Inclusion. Disability Inclusion is one she's had sort of throughout her entire career. She sort of came up as Minister for that and I believe sport in a fairly junior role and has since taken more and more senior ones. Um, And by all accounts, a competent minister that doesn't generate a lot of political problems for the government. Um, I don't have a whole ton to say about her except- That's all all we need to say. Yeah. Patty Hadju. Yes, uh, Minister of Indigenous Services and Minister for FedNor uh, as their Northern Ontario Cabinet Minister. Um, yeah, uh, sort of a diagonally down move here from health to sort of an associate minister at Indigenous Services. Kind of the opposite of what Carolyn Bennett did, I guess, or the reverse, I suppose. The mirror image. Um, I think she was not like the biggest success as health minister during the pandemic i think we've recount we, we've harped on this enough over the last year and a half so but uh um, on an average year the minister for health is not doesn't need to be that interesting of a minister no um in fact the minister of health historically is not a particularly interesting minister um or a particularly interesting portfolio um depends no, depends who you are yeah. some people would certainly disagree but in sort of the grand political scheme of things um, provincial health ministers have the hardest job in their respective provinces. Uh, the federal health minister's job is not that hard in comparison. Yeah, like it's the, mostly mostly regulatory. Yes. Um, however, um, as as things happen when you're running a government, <laughs> sometimes you unexpectedly find yourself in the midst of a global pandemic, and your health minister, in fact, becomes you know one of the primary faces of your government, and I think that was rather unexpected um, when they put um, Hadger in this role. So it was certainly a trial by fire, um, and I think the evidence here indicates that she was uh, somewhat burnt by it. Perhaps not the didn't perform as strongly as one of the lead spokesmen for uh, spokespeople rather for the government. Um, as they would have liked, and so she finds herself in a you know it's it's a uh, indigenous services is an important and it's incredible portfolio. It's worth saying too that it's a file they've been burned on before and actually need someone who can stick handle in there because uh, they do need to show the goods on it in a big way. Uh, so it's it, it's not I would say the the Bennett demotion to an associate minister within health is much more of a demotion. Uh, than this is. This is a, a still quite real job that is still a priority for the government, but it's definitely like not the big job in terms of like being the department head, etc. That yeah. Happens. In a, in another year when there isn't a pandemic, I would 
you, you know, you could persuade me that it's entirely a lateral move. Mm-hmm. Um, but in pandemic year, I think it's, it's, you know, health. We talked about the prioritization of other portfolios being indicative of how important they were in the government and how important the role is. Uh, so health obviously is a, uh, a top tier portfolio at the moment. Um, and hence the, the silent performer, uh, Duclos, who is now, now in that role. Indeed. Uh, Takes us to our friend, the Honorable. Philippe Champagne stays in his role as, uh, innovation science and industry. AKA Frankie Bubbles, as they call him. Um, no move there. Don't know. I mean, he's a guy who's moved around a lot. Yeah, but taken sort of increasingly big jobs and is now sort of the one of the central guys. Yeah, a, a solid performer by all accounts. Um, yeah. Has jumped around a lot. The government has only had one other minister in the lead role, and I said being uh, Navdeep Baines, and so they're they're telegraphing stability there again. Um, not too too much else to say than that. Um, yep. Karina Gould. Yeah, so someone who, like Qualtro, has moved up through a succession of jobs and is now Minister of Families, Children, and Social Development. She was previously International Development Minister and previously had Democratic Institutions after it was Democratic Reform uh, for the ill-fated Mariam Monsef. Um So this could be a quite big job given the childcare focus um, that they had going into the election. So I think given that depending on how much of a priority that is over the next year or two, that could be quite a big job. So clearly someone they have confidence in. So, yeah, we'll see what happens there. Can I just make an editorial note that I scrolled to the bottom of the page and a lot of folks left? I, that's why I did that earlier. And that's why I said, let's kind of get, let's get, let's get clicking here. All right. But unless you have anything to add on her. Nope. That's good. Ahmed Hussain. Very good. Minister of Housing and Diversity and Inclusion. Uh, so he was IRCC, which is quite a big job uh, when he joined the government, and then was infrastructure for a while. Is there anything since? Um, I don't really remember exactly. Maybe no, not. I don't. I don't uh, think they, so. We, Min- no. Minister so of Housing two, being a you know a make believe portfolio. I, I'll I'll try and point these out as we go. Um, yeah. It's a carve out within the ESDC family. There is a national housing strategy, but it's not it's not really a thing um, I, as a portfolio. Yes. There's a, a lot of these that we are we, you know we're getting to as we go further down this list. Mm-hmm. Um, diversity Toronto MP also. Sorry. So Toronto MP. So on yeah. the housing stuff, it's uh, yeah. There's a regional tension there, obviously. Um, previously, the the housing side of it was a, a Parlsec role, so it's been. Um, elevated, yes, and of course, it with, was an important part who, of the... Uh, who could replace Adam Vaughn, really? Yeah, well, his hand-picked replacement <laughs> didn't go so well. No. Um, next, Jeanette Petitpa-Taylor. Minister for Official Languages and Minister for ACOA. So she is an interesting one in that she is making a return to cabinet after previously leaving it. As, uh, so she, she was health been, minister and got she had been health minister, bumped yes. out of cabinet and it was a bit of a mystery and it still um, is a mystery to me as to what happened there. And it is Indeed, not often no you see folks bumped out of cabinet mysteriously to return to cabinet mysteriously. Um, I yeah. have abs- I have no explanation for this and I'm, I'm happy to hear theories. Yes. Um, yeah, but, no idea. She's, she's 
I think the notable thing here, apart from that, is that she's now in a basically smaller version of Melanie Jolie's old job. Yes, fair. A, a more tailored. Um, yeah. Seamus O'Regan Jr. I didn't know that that was a junior. Um, I, I didn't either. So he's a, I we've referred to Friendship Caucus on this program before, uh, and he is very much a product of Friendship Caucus, and he has had a series of. I jobs. mean, he's he's joint chair of Friendship Caucus and Canada AM Caucus. <laughs> Yes, it's true. Um, so he came in to cabinet as, I believe, a Veterans Affairs Minister, uh, and then was Indigenous Services Minister briefly, and then was Minister of Natural Resources, and is now Minister of Labor, which is also a junior ministry under the SDC portfolio. So a smaller job than he's had just recently, um, which is interesting. And uh, yeah, I think there's... I He's someone who's divides people on whether he's good or not uh i only really saw him in the indigenous services portfolio where he was not perceived to have done a good job uh and i think veterans he was also not really perceived to have done a good job i think people liked him a bit more natural resources uh but this is clearly not an upgrade from that it was a quieter uh, time at natural resources while he was there most of the the contentious legislation had already happened 68 69 Mm -hmm. um so it was a relatively quiet period, um, his tenure yes. in natural resources, I would say. And we will return to natural resources later. Pablo uh, Rodriguez. Yes, a guy who has previously had the job he now holds again, Minister of Canadian Heritage, uh, which once again, as Ken said, is a job that cannot go to anyone outside of Quebec. And really, anyone outside of Montreal, don't think of it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> quiet quiet tenure at Heritage, and uh, Heritage was notably spicy in the last parliament. Uh, mm-hmm. C10 comes to mind among uh, the, uh, a, a yeah, number of different live consultations. Um, so perhaps returning to a back burner role or a little a little quieter. I mean, I picante. don't think so. In that they're going to be doing the online harms bill. Well, yes, but we'll see what how what we'll see what those look like relative to the consultations that were launched under Gibo. Sure, and um, yeah, we'll see if they bring back C10, which I think they will probably in some capacity. Yes, it's the like... in what capacity do these things return? Um, and how prioritized are they? Um, yeah. That is the, the real question here. Pablo is also the Quebec lieutenant. Uh, and I think he's been someone who's come Lieutenant. Yes. Uh, he's someone who's Filthy come Americans. A, if the French word is lieutenant, not lieutenant. <laughs> so, you know, I think the Americans are actually right on this one. So just going to throw that out there. Um, at any rate, someone who's a heavy political hitter in Quebec and has become more so over the years. So good for Pablo. So the next one's fun. Uh, yeah, our favorite guy, Bill, uh, the Minister of Kettling. Bill Blair, um, yeah. President of the Queen's Privy Council for Canada and Minister for Emergency Preparedness. Um, yes. Previously Minister so for we were Public talking earlier. Safety. Yes, and we were talking earlier about the President of the Queen's Privy Council being a real like stick-handling job where you just move things along. And this guy... This guy's a file mover. He can he can surround a file on all sides with uh, legions of armored police and just beat them senseless. So yes, as the uh, the cabinet kettler becomes his main role. Um, yes, you know when I was when I was listening to the the CTV news broadcast, they I think they really uh, so this was on Shuffle Day. Um, 
if you're not familiar with the public safety portfolio, the, the title of the minister up until this point, well, in, in recent history, has been Minister of Public Safety and Emergency Preparedness. And it <laughs> sounds like it's a 50-50 split between public safety and emergency preparedness. Um, it is not. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. <laughs> the emergency preparedness side of that portfolio is like one one hundredth of the portfolio, just to because I have ex, you know recent expertise in this. Um, the Minister of Public Safety, I presume, will remain in charge of CBSA, um, CSC, Parole Board of Canada, CSIS, Public Safety as a Department. Hmm. Um, the RCMP. What does this leave, Jim? The RCMP. What does this leave? This leaves a branch. The Operation Center. <laughs> well, an emergency preparedness branch within Public Safety Canada that includes the Government Operations Center, among others. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it is like one branch within Public Safety, which itself is one of the several agencies that you're responsible for in that role, department slash agencies. Um, so, you know, the biggest thing on that plate is DFAA, which is like, flood yes. money for the provinces um so it's an incredibly min, uh, minute sliver of responsibility yes. um, so yes. i would expect the saying... emphasis to be on the president of the queen's privy council role but it's a weird role for bill blair who is not a in my mind a a governance guy um someone that you want responsible for cabinet operations but i guess that's where he finds himself in sort of that uh minister of cabinet role yes and it's worth saying that he got there i think from the much bigger job because he's had a string of high profile failures as minister of public safety yeah the port of pick uh the response and the inquiry into the you know the massacre really in port of pick yeah is well, and oversight of the rcmp generally has been yes, also another several disastrous cabinet. ones it turns out that yes. you in fact uh so i mean we're, we're we'll be jumping ahead to mention the next guy um, but it turns out you don't want, you know, a cop in charge of the police and national security apparatus. There is perhaps a conflict of interest and a loyalty there that could be problematic. And there was a lot of inexplicable mm. decisions made during his tenure. Um, one of the other ones that comes to mind, well, this is less related, but, uh, you know, how they managed uh, on the issues management level, how they managed... Uh, the conversation around uh, administrative segregation or solitary confinement um, was also incredibly poorly done. Um, yes. So certainly a different role. He's someone I think very easily could have been cut from cabinet. Um, kind of bewildering actually to see that he's still in cabinet. I don't know why they wouldn't have just cut him. But this is kind of why this I think government Arnaud does not fire people. Didn't get fired. They, this is kind of why I think Arno is was like, hey, thanks, but no thanks. I'd actually like to do something different that's now because as I because it's like they just don't fire people. <laughs> so, it, especially someone who is like in that forward facing role, because firing someone implies you made a mistake by hiring them, and you never admit you made a mistake. Fair. So. Yeah, um, Mary. Ng. Glad, I, glad I talked you around on that. Mary, yes, Mary Ng, who a, a another friendship caucus honoree, um, but who as I, I think I have more time for, uh, kind of takes back her old job as international trade and export promotion minister as well as small business and sort of tacks on the umbrella role of economic development. Uh, so I guess some sort of loose oversight over the RDAs, who knows? Um, but her role is not changing significantly, so we will uh, we'll pass right on. I think. Philomena Tassie. 
who someone is someone I will never be able to associate with anything but the absolutely absurd Facebook video her office put out when she came into her job as Minister of Seniors, uh, and is now Minister. She was Minister of Labor previously. Uh, after that, and is now Minister of Public Services and Procurement, which is a big job. Uh, Anita Anand was the most recent person in that role. We'll come back to her, uh, but she did a big job quite well. Uh, so big shoes to step into there. And I, I mean, once again, I just like my impression of her has been completely colored by this absurd video. You know, the, so you know, just, the worst have, part like, is I can't do it. We can't even post the video. I posted I know, it at one point, but it got I know, pulled it's down. from Facebook when they switched ministers. Um, uh, and I did not have the foresight to download the co- a copy no, of the, so uh, funny. the rather so as, funny. Uh, absurd attempt at, you know, comms at proactive communication oh branding with the minister. Uh, God, was that good? Very tough. Jonathan Wilkinson. So, so this guy is another guy who is a reputed clip killer. Uh, Minister of Natural Resources I, now, we should say. Yes, and he was Minister of Environment before. And this was one of the bigger changes, as we'll come to later. As Minister of Environment, he took a big file and handled it with very little drama. Uh, which I think is not what they're going for in the new hire. No, or the, uh, the neither the original hire nor the new hire. No. So Wilkinson was sort of steered that ship pretty quietly, uh, which perhaps on that issue is what they wanted, and is now natural resources, which I think at this point is a job that is kind of inextricable from environment in, in a way. Like those two files are going to move in tandem. So I think he's still sort of part of that team in a broad sense. Um, by all accounts, a, a smart guy. Uh, I don't really know too much about him other than, than the sort of general impression of Cultivated from being on the on and around the hill for a while. But yeah, uh, his his Kermit the Frog-like demeanor is just very unclippable and good for him because he's uh, it's a skill. It's a skill. Um, I have nothing to add, so we'll go to David Lametti, who will uh, jump over we as bit, a... Yeah, if you, a, uh, a no changer. Yes, no, no change announced there. Joyce Murray, I think we can pass over very quickly. She becomes yes. the Minister of Fisheries, Oceans, Canadian Coast Guard. She is a BC minister, uh, another Vancouver minister, um, notably the minister for uh, the previous minister for Fisheries and Oceans had a rough ride in the election and finds herself uh, out of work. Yes, one of three ministers to lose their seats. Um, so there's uh, been some rocky... Well, and notably, the East Coast fishery right now is a politically difficult one, so it, it kind of makes sense to put someone at more removed from Yes, it. with a little uh, distance, a little less uh, yeah. personal stake in the game. Um, makes sense. The role tends to oscillate between uh, East and West Coast, and we've even had Northern, um, although... Very briefly. Uh, very briefly in, in recent memory. Anita yes. Anand, uh, one of the more interesting yes. ones on the list. Takes over as Minister of National Defense, or as she was referred to in the National Post, woman. woman. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> My <laughs> goodness, like, yeah, yeah, that was <laughs> tough. Yes, uh, so she was Minister of Procurement, as we said. Uh, I think in the once all things are said and done, I think widely perceived to have done like as creditable job as could reasonably have been done in the circumstances uh getting vaccines and, and medical equipment and all of that um so i think someone that he came in with a 
pretty high expectations in 2019. She was newly elected then and came in immediately to cabinet uh, into a fairly difficult job with very little time to prepare, it must be said, as we've said with the how long it took them to hire up the whole government. So she's someone who took a, a tough job uh, with very little runway and uh, by all accounts did, did a good job. So she will have quite a bit of work to do at defense to sort that ship out, uh, by which I mean both actually sorting the ships out because uh, that is that is a problem. We we really need to sort those ships out, uh, but also the the metaphorical ship of just the state of leadership, etc., in the Canadian forces. Yeah, so, there you go. I I think that is fair. I think it's um, the Liberals view her as one of the uh, the superstars of the COVID response, mm-hmm. um, and so you know she is given a challenging portfolio um, that they are looking to do. That they that they need a steady hand to guide through rough waters to continue your your ship uh, analogy. Sort of what you yes what you what, what one might do with an icebreaker perhaps. <laughs> is, uh, hey, icebreakers, uh, yes. fisheries and oceans, very different portfolio. Very good. Um, uh, yes, the Honorable Mona Fortier, President of the Treasury Board. So, so Mona Fortier was elected in a by election uh, when uh, Maud Benanger passed away from ALS in Ottawa Vanier. Uh, and then came in pretty quickly as a parliamentary secretary, if I call correctly, and then was also the minister, associate minister for finance after the 2019 election, or as she was memorably styled, the minister for middle class prosperity. And the middle uh, class is prosperous. That title is cut from cabinet. Uh, yes. Mission accomplished, folks. I think I think they realized it was a bit of a ridiculous title, so they have axed it. So president treasury board is a big job. Um, I, when I worked on the Hill, uh, I dealt to some extent with, with Mona Fortier before she was a minister. Um, and she was, you know, perfectly nice, uh, you know, a decent MP. This is quite a big job and I am a little surprised to see her in it. Uh, it's someone, it's a, like a big heavy hitter kind of job with like a, a lot of policy stakes maybe she has those i did not really see them in the time admittedly limited uh that i interacted with her but we will see i suppose yeah so just skimming her bio she has like a a chief director of communications and marketing development uh non-profit boards for the mall four hospital uh francophone affairs it's not usually you think the treasury board a little bit more of the uh yeah, I mean the people the who background have, I mean, economic portfolio, um, or even then, like if you take a look at the people who have been in that job in this government, with the exception and like Joyce Mary, I just don't really know her background is, but she did run for leadership, so I assume she, she, like, she was there for like two minutes politically. though. So yeah, she was there for two minutes, but I was just to say to leave her aside. Scott Bryson, who had had a long career in politics and business at sort of quite senior levels, and is now in in business at a quite senior level, someone who had a lot of, of heft uh, on both of those fronts. Uh, Jane Philpott was president of Treasury Board for some time. Jean Duclos, as we mentioned earlier, was president of Treasury Board for a while. Like these were people who were sort of like the big heavy hitters in cabinet or among them. So yeah, it's just a, a change there for sure in direction. Uh, so who knows? <laughs> um, yes, crunch of time. I'll leave that one there. Stephen Gilbo. Yes. Um, yeah, so this was the one that's... So there had been a lot of gossip about he's going to be an environment minister, and I was like, I mean, yes, like, there's a lot that makes sense about it, but it also seems crazy because 
he was this is what's interesting to me is that I think if you ask a lot of people was Stephen Gilbo a huge political liability as Minister of Heritage they would say yes you ask a lot of people in the government that question they would say no he was fantastic um, so I don't know that that's true I th my my takeaway was more he had bad advice he was given bad advice and he only underperformed due to external factors. Was I have heard of Ben? I've heard a bit of both there, um, but at any rate, the point is just that we talked earlier about how Jonathan Wilkinson, his predecessor in the role, was a very no drama performer. I think it is fair to say that Stephen Gilbo <laughs> has dedicated his life to not being a no drama performer. Uh, so, for those <laughs> unfamiliar with his background, I think it's worth uh, spending a few more minutes on him. Uh, yes, perhaps he, he at the cost people, of cutting short the list, but sure, he was what people uh, in Etienne's part of the world call, with while spitting on the ground, a professional activist <laughs> uh, with Greenpeace. So, so with uh, Greenpeace, I mean, uh, notable stunts that come to mind: scaling the CN Tower, which, you know, as someone who has ultra recreationally dabbled in rock climbing, is uh, no small feat at all. Um, as well as uh, climbing Ralph Klein's house and startling his <laughs> wife to install fake solar panels and hang a banner from his house. That's pretty um, I've yet to see a definitive list of sort of this these types of stunts, but those yeah. those were the ones that... And worth saying, he founder of Equitaire, uh, which is a, a big deal Quebec sort of environmental NGO that works a lot in the clean tech world as well. Like he, he's had is Equitaire more been... agricultural than clean tech? No. Are you Not sure knowledge, on that anyway. one? Like, we, yeah, we can Google this, but, like, yes, I'm, I'm pretty certain. I'm sure they do some ag, too, but, like... No, I... Okay. We're going to Google this after the show, and I... And for, for listeners, they're just going to have to imagine me yelling you're wrong. Um, because I looked into Equitaire a little bit recently, because that was the way it was always framed, but according to their website, they're more, like, community-supported agriculture, and it was, it was a very different picture of Equitaire than I thought... Um, most people were speaking about it, which is the way you're speaking about it. Yeah. As Laurent now ponderingly now. scratches his face. I feel like Equitaire is misframed a little bit as more of a clean tech or a Quebec version of Greenpeace, where it's very much like a community-supported agriculture and agricultural ENGO. Um, Far afield from agriculture, the organization is also certified to conduct energy audits for the Quebec and Canadian federal governments. Sure. Okay, but so their, their bread they, and butter they, is they, like the agricultural yeah. side of the environmental movement. Yeah, this this uh, this website is very uh, 2006. <laughs> very excellent stuff. Uh, at any rate, so the environmental space, regardless. Um, so yes, all that to say, very much an activist in both the like sense of a literal activist and activist in the sense of someone who's going to want to do a lot on the file. Um, so that will be interesting and definitely will give uh, a lot more sparks in question period than uh, than Jonathan Wilkinson did. So for, for good for good or for ill. The risk you run with an activist is that they come with a pre-baked notion of what direction they would like to take things and they're very firm in their views. Um, and then there's also the risk of, you know, alienating stakeholders or stakeholders feeling like um, it's a challenge to have those conversations um, with government, which is always an important part of being any minister is managing your, your portfolio of stakeholders. Um, 
So Indeed. it'll be interesting to see where that goes um, as one of the more uh, activist ministers. Um, and he has uh, demonstrated no shyness for the spotlight thus far. So certainly will be one to watch um, on the drama side of the next 18 months. Very good. You want to take us down to the next person? Um, Marco Mendicino, who's Minister of Public Safety, former prosecutor. Um, I don't have a ton to say about Marco. Um, we'll just say he gets the vast majority of that portfolio and offloads the uh, perhaps the least interesting bit of it. So, um, Yeah, and comes from the yes. immigration portfolio, which is... Uh, Mark Miller. Worth saying that. Mark Miller uh, goes from Minister of Indigenous Services to the the big job at Crown Indigenous Relations. Uh, definitely a place that the government wants to put out some political fires. And Mark Miller is also a Friendship Caucus member. I think one of the more respected ones as well uh, with Mary Ng. I think he's been perceived to have done a good job. I think, and we've, Tanner and I have discussed this sort of off the show, but I think he comes off as less of a politician than a lot of people. He has, uh, and he can sort of talk like he has the most notable uh, comms approach of anyone in the history of this government. Um, Yes, he just sounds direct and friendly. Yeah, and like he, uh, and like he genuinely cares about the issues he's talking about. And by all accounts, that's reflective in. His management of issues where he's, you know, personally involved and all of, uh, we're not all, but many of the stakeholders on his files um, are vociferous in their support of Mark Miller in a way that they certainly were not of Carolyn Bennett. Um, so Indeed. he seems to be uh, knocking it out of the park so far on, a, on, a ch- on challenging portfolios. Yes. It's worth saying that he had the unenviable job of announcing that the government would miss its five-year or six-year uh, target for elimination of oil water advisories, and that, in fact, it would take another five, uh, which was a big shit sandwich to eat, I am sure, um, and is still in the portfolio in a, in a broad sense. So that is, uh, I think they they did him a solid there for, for taking that one for the team to some extent there. But not to contradict what Dan was saying, but just... A, a Dan Vandell, um, notable f- well, no notable for being uh, the only minister for Manitoba in a junior portfolio as uh, an intrepid uh, reporter for the province uh, asked him during the, uh, the uh, ministerial uh, press... Uh, press conferences Conference. that evening why why is there only one minister and why is he in a junior role um he was a little little terse afterwards but uh tough tough time to be on the prairies yes and jim carr yes. is out of cabinet we're saying the other the other familiar face from winnipeg um maybe a once again someone who just wants to go do something else uh, yeah, I'm. Um, has has had some ill health in the last couple of years, and is also like you know yeah. not a young guy, so perhaps. Yes, just, as we know um, from Alan Freeman's uh, op-ed in iPolitics, um, which we're not going to get to to the length I was hoping we would get to no, today. No, no, con- no country uh, for old but men. But this liberal government very hostile to the uh, sixty plus apparently, except when they're handing them. Large wads of cash year over year, um, but we certainly need um, more boomer representation at the cabinet table per Alan Freeman writing in iPolitics. In, um, 
which Indeed, is thank you, Alan. Not to say they certainly have been uh, underrepresented in the past in uh, political history in Canada and the world. For sure. Um, Omar yes. Algebra, uh, status quo, Minister of Transportation. Randy Boissonneau, I think we can go over pretty quickly. Minister of Tourism, Associate Minister of Finance, uh, aka the second Min- job is Minister the real job. of <laughs> Middle Class Prosperity. Um, Edmonton, yeah. tourism scene, I don't imagine is that bustling. Um, he is the only minister from Alberta as the other guy, ooh, tough, um, decided to steal letters letters from really mailboxes, which is... Uh, allegedly. Well, it's on video, allegedly. so it's... The Ring allegedly. doorbell camera <laughs> is making some hell of an allegation. Hey, none of this has been um, proven in court, Tim. I mean, he just thought they had the wrong polling station on it. Um, so that's a guy whose mail indiscretions lost him a hundred thousand dollars in salary and, a, and several prime cabinet yeah. positions, I'm sure. So, so Randy Boissano, apart from his good fortune of his fellow Alberta electee uh, doing something very stupid on camera, um, was previously the special advisor on LGBTQ issues to the prime minister and was notable for his. I think somewhat regrettable performance during the SNC scandal as a, a member, as the parliamentary secretary for something or another on the justice committee, where he served as the very visible face of shutting the inquiry down, etc. cetera. Uh, and he was very, very partisan and unpleasant during that process. Uh, and I think that image stuck with a lot of people. He had to kind of address it when he was running again and say like, I really learned a lot outside of politics about how bad partisanship is, which I'm sure will be duly forgotten in, in time, but uh, yeah. there we go. We'll see. I mean, in his, like, Minister of Tourism will allow him to float under the radar quite a bit. Um, so I don't imagine there will be many contentious tourism committees. Uh, not that there is even a tourism committee, but the, the Minister for Tourism tends not there to get called not. before committee at all. Um, so he should be pretty fine in a plush gig going to Banff a lot for various film festivals and uh, ski hill openings i don't know now the every year that you know the first (laughs) runs down the inaugural Ah, not not a new ski hill but the uh honorable sean frazier minister for immigration refugee citizenship um long been seen as an up-and-comer from the east coast um strong performer once upon a time was the parl sack to e triple c environment um you know, generally well regarded in liberal circles. Yes, and a Nova Scotia minister now that Bernadette Jordan was among the yeah. few. So he's one of the sort of uh, merit upgrades um, among the cabinet. One of one of the people to give inspiration to the backbenchers that if they if they keep their head down and pay their dues, they too can find themselves with a, a car and driver one day. Indeed. The Honorable Mark Holland, leader of the government, uh, so the House leader, uh, he was whip before, yeah. I believe. Is that right? Yeah. So that's I. They, and they moved Pablo out of that into another job. So Most he needed a House leader. He was already on the House leadership. Bartish Chagger, however, finds herself there. out of uh, out of cabinet. Um, yes. Is as the entirely there. yes one of the one of the three. Uh, 
the others being Garno and Carr, who we have, you know, I think can plausibly say like maybe they're they're tired of it and want to just do something else. Chagger, I'm a little less clear on what's going on well, there. I think uh, I think so there is one that there's likely a performance asterisk. Um, I mean, she was don't get me wrong, given a tough run of things in terms of the portfolio she was given, um, particularly when she was made house leader as a uh, you know, relative political nephit. Um, neophyte, rather. Neophyte. <laughs> please an please delete. Uh, neophyte. I don't know why I said that. Um, yeah, which is a tough um, role. Um, usually not the role you want, uh, you know, your, your newer MPs to be in, but nonetheless... Um, Goody Hutchings, Minister of Rural Economic Development, which is kind of confusing what exactly rural economic development is that the other regional development agency positions aren't, but um, they wanted to expand the cabinet, and it's one of the biggest ever cabinets, so here we are. That's also why the episode is so long. Um, Marcy Ian, or Ian, I think. Um, is next as Miss for Women, uh, Gender Equality and Youth. And uh, youth. So wage and youth, that youth part hanging in there. Um, the second member of Canada AM Caucus. Um, re, you know, seen as an up-and-comer, was recently elected in a by-election. Um I don't know that we have enough data to give her a, uh, a performance evaluation yet. Um, she came in at the tail end of the I last government, so it'll be a, you know, a one to watch in terms of up and comers or perceived up and comers in this uh, in this cabinet. Helena Jazik, I think the C is silent. I, I couldn't tell you. Uh, Minister Maybe. responsible for the Federal Economic Development Agency for Southern Ontario. A former Ontario cabinet minister. I am just going to complain that the minister responsible only for a regional... There's a few of these, but only for a single regional development agency. Which means you virtually have nothing to do. um, Is going to get $260,000 a year. In theory, in theory, those agencies are arm's length. That's that's what I mean. These ones just kill me inside. Because it's for the sake of having, you know, a larger cabinet with more... Uh, fancy titles and people around the table, but just mm-hmm. regional economic developments, uh, regional economic development agencies absolutely do not need their own minister. In fact, at one point, there was a minister for industry, science, regional economic development agencies, among you know fifty thousand other things, uh, and that seemed to get by just fine. Um, and yet, here we are. They they were yes. suffering without attention, Etienne. You don't, you don't know yes. the struggle those people faced at the um, and um, But yeah, she had big jobs in the Ontario government. She was Minister of Health uh, between Eric Hoskins and Christine Elliott. Uh, and so gets a, a very Mickey but Mouse perhaps, portfolio here, so... Yeah, perhaps perhaps just, like, someone who will get you, bigger jobs You just think we'll see. that they're, like, I, I just said science. Um, there are other portfolios that could have been carved out of the existing ones that would make a lot more sense than to just hand out random regional development uh, agencies. These would have formerly been ministers of state, but we're not doing that anymore. Um, 
Well, and in fact, they, there are now more of them because they split up Western Economic Unification yeah. and made uh, so, Fed Noir full agency. Um, here, here to the slush fund agencies, but uh, this this is a set of responsibilities that should probably have something else attached to it in my mind. Um, well, I will pass your I'll pass your you. concerns along to, uh, um, to the big man. Next up. Uh, the Honorable Kamal Kara, who has been, I believe, a MP, I think since 2015, perhaps 2019. Uh, she's now for seniors. I don't know. 20, there you go. That's what I. That's what I thought. Uh, I don't know anything about her, so good for her. I guess she's in cabinet and replacing Deb Schulte uh, in the GTA as Minister of Seniors. Uh, minister for, yeah. also Minister for Checks and Minister for CARP. So. Um, and then last but not least, uh, Pascal Saint-Ange, Minister for Sport, yes, Minister um, of Sport. which is a long-standing sort of junior portfolio, and the Economic Development Agency of Canada for the regions of Quebec, which is not usually what it's called. Am I imagining that? It is. It's just usually you see it the, with the French acronym, which yeah. I forget. But yes, that is what... It, because they have to throw Canada in there because obviously otherwise people are going to forget where the money is coming oh, from. fair. So. Um, I always joked that uh, Minister <laughs> for Sport was always the... Once upon a time was always the, the plushest role. Um, you know, the folks who had to wake up at 6 a.m. for the issues call for sport never got called upon but had to wake up. Like, imagine being the sports issue person. Um, the one time they did come up, it was like, oh, no, that's a finance question. That's not us. Um, but you... you, you yeah, but what if what if it's the Olympics and you Dick get a lot of, killed a guy? Then then you, they're, then they're you get a lot of free on, tickets to things, sure. I'm sure. And so uh, not a bad gig to be in if you want to go to NHL games. No, so she's an interesting one in that she's someone from the Quebec cultural industries in a big way. It was a, a labor leader there. Um, so pro- pro- also, I think someone to watch. For so what you're saying is future. start the timer until she becomes minister for heritage. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be so crass about it, Etienne, but uh, yes. Uh, so a, a junior entry-level uh, foothold in government there, but one, one to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's worth saying that, like, it's tough to be a new MP. Like, it's tough to move to Ottawa, like, and figure out your, your new family situation and learn this new job and this new political environment and all this stuff and be a new minister at the same time. It's, it's a miracle they got anything done after 2015, honestly with how many new people they had coming in. So I, I can see why they, they are having people on a development track rather than just dropping them into big jobs. But yeah, I mean, this part. comes also as part of uh, being in government for longer, um, where you have to you have to reward yeah, have the, the folks who've been kicking around for a while and the, the newcomers get the more junior level roles. And it's, you're hard pressed to it's, plug newcomers, you know, into uh, the more specific, you know the perceived serious portfolios uh, directly is that you know that alienates yeah. a lot of people there's there are many dynamics to manage when uh, when uh, creating a cabinet and the alienation of other MPs is certainly one of them although at the rate at which um, the government is convening MPs to hear their thoughts um, perhaps uh, not as uh, yes. high of a consideration as they well, would appreciate this- yeah it's it's i think there's the the, the, yes as you say like it it alienates people but the the thing you always need is the the power of the carrots and sticks and if the power of carrot if if you have no carrots if they're like i'm never getting a carrot 
and the sticks in the end don't really bother me that much then you have people who can be annoying in a caucus and uh, that's usually what you try to avoid um so it's not so much that they they're worried about making people feel bad it's that they're worried about having people they don't have any control yeah and so I guess the the next thing to watch will be the if if we're using carrots for cabinet roles, uh, the runner up list is who gets the turnips of uh, parliamentary secretary roles. Um, otherwise, uh, Parliament is set to reconvene on November twenty second. Uh, speech from the throne being the buzz around there, and ministerial mandate letters are outstanding at the moment. Um, you know serious documents for providing direction um to departments to uh cabinet ministers even to you know to everyone in ottawa operates now around even even the humble humble stakeholder waits waits for the drop of the everyone awaits the mandate letter although um you know at, at times in this government we have seen them become more optional as they uh they were loath to issue new mandate letters during at least one of the shuffles in the last few years um so tbd there but i would expect to see them before parliament resumes on the 22nd in shallah well that's that for us i think indeed i hope you've enjoyed this uh this fun dive into the the new movers and shakers on parliament hill uh and we'll be back soon with more delightful content uh, for you Indeed we shall. If you liked this episode of this podcast, or in fact any other episode of this very program to which you are listening, feel free to rate it and review us on iTunes or your platform of choice. We do appreciate it. We like reading the nice reviews, honestly. Um, it's, it's very nice. A nice little, nice little pick-me-up. We also like reading the bad reviews, and then we sort of like sort of mark that person <laughs> down as like someone we have a grudge against for the rest of our natural lives. Um, yeah, so you know, uh, choose wisely, I guess, is what I would say on that front. Uh, and otherwise, I think I will uh, I will wish you all a, a good rest of whatever your day is after you finish listening to this. And uh, bye-bye.